You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. The, the condor has this huge wingspan, and that means they can go far. Like, they just soar. And they're a soar, so like if you think of a hummingbird, that they zip What can they teach us? As you had mentioned, too, it's been a super successful program, yeah, right? Really so it's, it's well. a, the golden child of what we should be able to do for every species. Yeah, right. uh, but once again... Many species are in crisis and need your help. And these zookeepers and the zoo staff, I mean, this team loves these, lives, breathes, and eats saving these California condors. I mean, many people... Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. And today, Angie, we're just going to jump right into it, and we're going to talk about nature's uh, cleanup crew. And one of them, one of them, and it's the California condor. Yes, we get to talk about birds today for all my fellow birders out there. Yeah, definitely one of your favorites, right? Oh, yes. I am not naturally a birder. I've always liked the hoofs and the horns. But after working with them at the zoo and then becoming more of a naturalist, Mm -hmm. I have fallen in love. They are, if you're not a birder, and I'm not a hardcore birder. For For those listeners out there that don't know what birders are, they are enthusiasts that like will literally travel the country mm-hmm. or the world or whatever to go find, knock birds off their list to go see them in the wild. Mm-hmm. And I love birding and watching birds, but I don't have a list currently. I have a mental list, so right, I'm not right. traveling and seeking things out. But when I happen to be somewhere and I know if that species of bird is around, I do go looking for it. Right. And all that love and passion for them in the wild – actually came from my encounters at the zoo uh, with the birds and, and I know working with them mm-hmm. here in Florida we have a very diverse range of birds it's oh pretty Chris, amazing. It's, since I've moved here it's just been fascinating mm-hmm. what I've been able to see in the wild or and not even really trying just walking around mm-hmm. um, even in like suburbia and it's it's quite wonderful because we get a lot of the migratory species right. and, and at night it's always cool like you know, the kids are asleep and it's quiet and I can hear the owls outside. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah, really cool. And yeah. then I remember driving into work, seeing uh, a nesting bald eagles. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God. You know, and I grew up in California where bald eagles are way up in the north or in the mountains. And I've seen them briefly. But to see this pair of bald eagles every single day was pretty cool. So Right. And I think that that's what got me so excited about talking about the California condor mm-hmm. and their wonderful story, mm-hmm. which we'll, we'll dive right into. But I've also, since I moved to Florida, seen uh, wild eagles flying mm-hmm. around. In fact, they nest near where I ride a horse. And it's just, it's incredible to see right. that large bird of prey flying above you. It's, right. you know, like, is that an airplane? What is that? Oh, yeah. And it's our national icon too. And then, you know, being that this podcast, when this podcast airs, I think I've moved to New Zealand and the birds in New Zealand are going to be amazing. So when you come visit me, well, that I can, really, I can yeah, start jealous. my list and yeah. I can be like, I have to hop on a plane to go see the birds in New Zealand because exactly. it's an isolated part of the world where uh, unique biology, right? A lot of stuff in the Kiwis, you know, and that's what, know yeah. And that's what we're going to touch on today because a lot of the bird biology so much more different and or unique mm-hmm. from the mammals right. that we've been, you know, the mammals right. that we've already focused on. Right. And, yeah, and speaking of biology, so everybody wants to tune in and, and stay tuned in on this episode because towards the end, we'll talk about something that's just insane. It's amazing how these birds can survive eating rotty, nasty, diseased filled carcasses and survive. Right. Yeah. They don't get, they don't have problems with listeria mm. and botulism and things like that. Anthrax. They survive it <laughs> fine. They'd be like, Oh, yummy. Yeah. And so stay tuned on that and, and we'll get to, to let you know how they survive that. Yeah. Like you said, great conservation story growing up kid of the eighties. Cause you grew up in California. Right. And so it was have you ever seen one in the wild? No, 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 no. I have not yeah, either. No. Okay. And there's, I mean, there's a, a couple hundred now, right in the wild. Where when I was growing up, there was none in the wild. When they in the late eighties, they they brought them all into captivity, and we'll get into the conservation story. But you know, growing up, this was an iconic species that the news was focused on. San Diego Zoo, because I grew up grew up near the San Diego Zoo. A lot of a lot of them were focused on the California condor. So as a kid growing up, seeing this story, kind of 
you know, I guess what makes it such a great story is got me interested in conservation and animals. I'm like, oh my God, we need to save this species. So it was very, very iconic, very, very good story and that I grew up with. But Angie, these guys are just hideous looking. They are just ugly. I know I said river dolphins are ugly. These guys are horrible. I think you're looking at the wrong parts. <laughs> or maybe beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, perhaps. they have faces only mama could love. I mean, well, I, their face, they're, the bald head right. is obviously important for when you're eating right. rotting carrion meat. Right. You don't really want to have feathers to have to clean off. But they do have what I like to describe underneath the bald head. They have a black soft feathers almost down feathers mm-hmm. it looks like a boa to me right, that a woman right. would maybe wear back in the in the 1920s so that's to me is super charming and but yeah i think if you stare at their head you might think they're not cute right. and maybe you know they evolve that way so predators would look at them and go no you're maybe. ugly <laughs> i don't want to eat you but see now if you're not looking at their head if you're watching them soar over you I think they're, oh, yeah, yeah. they're about as majestic they're, as it gets. Yeah, they're actually very beautiful. And then when I just like to yeah, tease them a little I bit. I know. And mm-hmm. then with their wings open up, they have that white triangle underneath underneath, underneath right. each wing. So they're very us- easily identified, be- well, A, because of their size, right. but B, because of that, that really cool white pattern that a lot of the, the bigger uh, vultures and raptors don't have. Right. And they, you know, looks aside, this, this animal is, is critical to environmental health, I think. You know, we'll kind of get to that, to the, the niche they play. So the, the, just to kind of quickly describe what a California condor, people have probably heard about it. I don't know if they've necessarily seen pictures of it, like the honey badger we talked about last episode. Large vulture, but this naked head. Okay, again, like you said, that's important for when they're digging into carcasses and getting the guts and everything that they don't get stuff in their feathers or on their feathers. Right, like if you were an all-you-can-eat barbecue, would you want a hat on and some gloves? <laughs> no. and a, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. Dig right in, right? Yeah, look like my two-year-old. So, you know, again, that that's important. They have that naked head, and the, the face is, is pink with some yellow coloration. And I know you're going to talk about later, you know, how that might change a little bit with behavior, which is very interesting. But you're you're right. When they do fly, Wow. Because they have a, almost a 10-foot wingspan. That's one story of a house. 10 feet. Yeah. That's almost two of me. I'm yeah. like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, yeah. five, but, or in, you know... 6'5", right. It's, you know, it's it's huge. It's, it's a huge. huge wingspan. And so three meters, you know, for people that are in the metric system. Oh, it is enormous. That. Yeah, you're no, getting, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. fast. Now, the only way... So they have this huge wingspan that's... That, again, a, a story of a house. 10 feet. And then they only weigh about 20 to 30 pounds max, mm-hmm. which is insane. Nine, nine kilograms. So, you know, they weigh 20, 25 pounds and these just huge wings, which is crazy. So they're pretty light. And when I get to talking about how they fly, I guess that's kind of important. They're not this big, uh, heavy thing. So then their their feathers are black, you know, all the way around their body. And then they have the, those white spots under the wings. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's interesting about the condor, and, and I guess why a species we picked, not only is it a great story, or as far as, you know, it, it's it's on the, on the rebound. It was a species going extinct. Functionally extinct. Fun, yeah, they were extinct in the wild, mm-hmm. right? And now we're re-releasing them. Mm-hmm. So it's a great story. It's a great story. And, you know, we've learned a lot. But comes with a lot of controversy. I, I would say out of all the animals we've talked about so far, Vikita's in there too. But this one, just huge controversy. The amount of money that we've spent on this could be spent for other species. So millions of dollars have gone into preserving the California condor. Well, not only millions of dollars, Chris, but multiple agencies. Mm-hmm. International. Yeah. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not a one trick pony of one organization going to save this. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people's time and a lot of money and there have been great successes, but some are even arguing, has there been enough? Right. I mean, did, are we really saving this species? Is it, is the population in the wild now sustainable and should we move on to other species that are out there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, it's a tough one. Right. I mean, if you're a birder and, or an ornithologist or a biologist and, you, and any, of, any of the wonderful scientists and managers that have worked on these programs, I mean, of course you're going to vote for the, the California condor. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen one in the wild, but just watching uh, YouTube videos or whatnot of them flying, 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a supporter. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you had yeah. me once I saw one soar for like 30 seconds. But it is. It's 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 tough. Yeah, it's like you know, if you and I were in a room and we had a budget, and it's like, okay, you can save the elephant or the rhino, and I'd be arguing for the elephant, you'd be arguing for the rhino, and we go back and forth, and we can only save one, right? Mm-hmm. Or we can only spend the money towards one. You know, you'd probably win because <laughs> I know you very well. I'm pretty but, good. At you debating. know, the rhinos. You know, I would say the rhinos are in more dire straits sure. than, than elephants today. Um, maybe in ten years, we'll be in a different story. So I could see where some people are upset that, hey, you know, we spent all this money, all this, you know, goodwill, like you said, getting the government involved, all that stuff towards one bird, whereas we could be saving, you know, the Puerto Rican frog or, you know, poison dart frogs or the some, vaquita. Yeah, the vaquita or some other species we could we could spread the wealth. So, you know, it's funny because when I it's not really funny, it's really sad. When I talk to students and give them a talk on the Earth's six mass extinction, and, and really as conservation biologists, making hard decisions. What species can we save? Correct. It's you know what? A we, horrible corner we've been backed right. into. It's like we have to let some go extinct because mm-hmm. we can't save them all. So the condor, I don't know. I I would argue it was very worthwhile. Of course, I, I mean I'm yeah. biased, <laughs> and it's not just because I'm a, I'm a California kid and it's California condor. But as a kid growing up, seeing all the efforts that went into well, like, saving the species. You said it had an impact on you at a very vulnerable right. age. Yeah. I mean, maybe the California condor is why you're sitting here today. Today doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. It could be. Oh, I mean, I, know you, th- I yeah. know you think it's the elephant, but maybe subconsciously in early, you know, Childhood early roots. development. Mm-hmm. Right. And it had a big impact on me as a, as a child that, hey, we had to save the species. And I was watching the news and, you know, the, the hand puppets and stuff we'll talk about. So, yeah, I think, you know, it was very, very worthwhile. And I think the other thing that's really important, too, with it is we learned a lot and not just about birds. Like, I was really thinking about this in the controversy and in, in prepared for this podcast. And I was thinking, you know, it's not just so much that we learned a lot about bird biology and how to save a, a bird species. Because we did. Of you course. know, I'm sure there's a lot of science that, that was learned. And, you know, we're now doing that with the rhinos and the elephants and the manatees and stuff that we're doing now. But I think just learning how to engage the public, mm-hmm. you know, in science, how to how to speak about endangered species, because this was one of the first iconic, you know, species that we tried to save, you know, in the last 20, 30 years. So I think, you know, it, it, it really has a, has a very positive impact on conservation and environmentalism. And I think it highlights also what conservation centers and zoological breeding, captive breeding programs can do. Right. Yeah. It really brought them into the forefront. This would not project of um, saving the condor would not have been possible without the efforts of the San Diego oh, yeah, yeah. and LA Zoo. Oh I mean, yeah, they were huge. And were even huge, this yeah. day now, Oregon Zoo has gotten on board, mm-hmm. and so I mean the 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 Western the zoos and the West have really made a push and mm-hmm. are very much besides the scientists working with them are very much responsible for the success right, of this story. Right, right. And a lot of times people. Some of the controversy was like, oh, we should just let them die off versus dying in a zoo. Mm-hmm. And I think this project represents, well, we, yes, we put them in the zoos to breed mm-hmm. them. And they, but then we were able to release not only the juveniles that were hatched in captivity released back in the wild, mm-hmm. but actually adults that were brought in from the wild into captivity were then 15 years, 20 years re-released. later re-released. Successfully. Yeah. Super success story. Mm-hmm. And I think that that highlights for people, their naysayers of um, zoo breeding programs or animals in captivity of what, what really amazing success stories and projects can come when, you know, when animals are in a captive setting and how they can be brought and, back and, in and the And a wild. lot of people don't know, right? That yeah. Unless you're like, like, you know, it's unless you're of, a dork like us, that yeah. <laughs> instead of like, you know, watching, uh, you know, Gray's Anatomy or, or whatever, or, or, you're, we watch this, yeah, this stuff, I, I read, we read. Yeah, I we read, read and watch a lot of videos about uh, saving species and whatnot. You wouldn't know that. And, and it's easy to just go to probably the San Diego zoo and, and maybe perhaps see a California condor mm. and think like this bird should be flying. Right. For all the listeners out there, that is the goal. Yeah, that's what we want. That is the right. goal. Nobody wants a condor in captivity, right. you know, unless it's been injured or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, the populations that are in a captive setting are there for genetic protection, yeah, prote- protection. a protection, yeah. but then also for the genetics. Mm-hmm. And once they're deemed, once they've done their deed yeah, and their okay. genetics have been represented, represented, yeah. uh, then the goal is for them to go back out in the wild. Right. And so that is the goal. But unless you really dive in. Um, I'm sure at the zoos they probably have great signage right. and you know explain the story, but 
yeah, it's easy to just kind of um, throw some shade. <laughs> yeah, at it and not knowing the full mm-hmm, details. Mm-hmm. Well, again, why this is such an awesome story. So this population, and we talked about like with the Brzezowski horse, you know, they were down to 12. This was, they were down to 22. Mm-hmm. They were all brought into captivity, San Diego Zoo, LA Zoo. They had some funding from the government and, and other international organizations. Yeah, it was a big collaboration. So brought all 22 into captivity and then started rearing them and breeding them. And the hand puppets. So I grew up, that's where I was saying as a kid, like the impact of me as a kid, they would show, you know, oh, look how they're raising these condor chicks with hand puppets. And the reason the puppets were, were so important and that was the success of the puppets was so important is because, you know, we'll get to it when we get to the repro, but they, their generation interval, again, is long. So, again, that's why these – it just seems like all these species in perils because they have such long generation intervals. But they don't breed very quickly. No, they don't right. breed quickly. Right. And they're also a species that imprints. Mm-hmm. So the puppets are key to help them not imprint on humans. Right. Because, once again, although they're in a captive setting and they have human handlers and zookeepers uh, feeding them and whatnot or working with them – the goal is for them to be released back in the wild. And so you want to keep them as wild as possible. And you don't want them to think. Oh, people. Food, that, cute, right. that cute blonde zookeeper is their mommy. <laughs> Land on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like, you want them to think. Span. Right. Exactly. Right. You don't, uh, you want them to think that, you know, to get a lot of the, the natural behaviors from birds. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in looking into some of the, the puppets that they use to help feed the chicks mm-hmm. and the quote unquote, be the pretend parent. And just real quick for the listeners, the, the hand puppet was like, it looked like the wonderful, beautiful head of a California condor. So they're really cool. And we'll put definitely put in the show notes, but you can see where, it, you know, not crude either. Like cause no. these, these birds have great eyesight. So they're very beautifully drawn, look really natural hand puppets that they use to. Yeah, feed it's not these just chicks. like a sock. No, like that's yeah, like- I know <laughs> for our kids. Hey, all right. It's it's pretty anatomically correct, right. and but very very key. And when we talk about Chris and I, obviously love science very mm-hmm. much. These researchers are so open to wanting to save these birds. Mm-hmm. And these zookeepers and the zoo staff, I mean, this team loves these, lives, breathes, and eats saving these California condors. Mm-hmm. I mean, many people have spent their entire lives dedicated to this bird. So what the researchers have found, they've, throughout the past 20, 30 years that they've been hand-rearing some of these captive chicks, that they actually need to change their puppetry. <laughs> and in the beginning, they were being like nice mommies right, right. and feeding, the puppet was feeding the baby bird the meat. Mm-hmm. Nicely. Mm -hmm. And after some anecdotal research and then implementing it later on, they realized that they needed to be more aggressive. Mm, Because I'm a mom. And Mm. with my first kid, I was like, oh, honey, everything is perfect and nice. (laughs) I'm like, here's your spoon and you're go. You know, just kind of like, get out of here, kid. I love you, Zach, if you're listening. Or when you do listen someday. Uh, I force you to listen this 10 years from now. Uh, But... No, so they learned that they act, they need to be a little bit more, just kind of, you know, not let the baby... Assertive. Yeah, the, the baby was like biting them, the hand puppet, and they learned that to tell them, not, you know, don't do that. Mm-hmm. and Because that would teach them social skills later on mm-hmm. when they were at mm-hmm. a feeding site. It helps them with their social uh, dominance and hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why we're so geeky about it, because it's so fun. Yeah. It's so fun and to watch this stuff. And that's what they were learning. I mean, they were really getting to know. They had watched these birds in the wild, but... You know, figuring out how to mimic what the parents were doing mm-hmm. in, in captive mm-hmm. in a captive setting is a whole other beast. Right. But these these professionals dedicated their life to it, and they right. are. Or if you're out there listening, I applaud all your efforts because right. there's over 430, yeah. 450. So yeah, they went from 22, and now we have 450. Wow, that's amazing. Only 170 in captivity, almost 300 in the wild because they are nesting now, right? Mm-hmm. So now they're nesting, and and they they are doing their natural thing. In the wild in California, Arizona, and Baja, California, Mexico. So that's where they, they are now. It's uh, so, so we'll jump into some of the, the history of, of the bird. Mm-hmm. Its direct relative is the Andean condor. Another beautiful, beautiful vulture. <laughs> Pictures. I got this picture right in front of me. Yes, beautiful bird. Um, but there's about 10,000 of them. And their population's in decline, but they're okay. Like they're not in dire straits like the California condor is. Now, a little bit before we kind of jump into their, their history and evolution, I, I know you and I, you know, when I'm editing this stuff, I kind of hear old world, new world. So that'd be worthwhile just to kind of define that to some people. Old world is, you know, Africa, Asia, Europe, maybe even Australia. You know, they consider that old world. 
you know, so old world animals. We talk about old world primates, old world stuff. In my brain, I just think super expensive places for me to fly. Yes, very. <laughs> this is all the old world stuff. The new world is the Americas. Mm -hmm. So North, Central, and South America is, is generally considered. Not cheap to fly around no. the new world, but no. cheaper. Yeah. Well, where I'm going, it's going to be very expensive to come back right. to the new world. Right. <laughs> That's why I really, you're going to have to get me excited about a bird so I can, you oh, know. there's tons of them. I can come be a birder I'll there you, and uh, have an excuse yeah. to come visit you. Yeah. What's interesting about the, the, the condor species and looking at their evolution, they talk a lot about new world and old world vultures. So the condor is kind of considered a new world vulture type bird. And again, that goes back to that convergent evolution that we talked about where, you know, different species evolve similar traits. Yeah. Listeners use the word convergent evolution yeah, at, at a cocktail party. And yeah. <laughs> Look at people are going to like, I'm like, you're smart. So it's, so they're, so to try to boil this down is different lineages but these animals evolved very similar physical traits. And and the, the example I kind of came up with was like the Tasmanian tiger, because I talk about that in the first episode, how they went extinct in Australia, and coyotes. Two, you know, and everything in Australia is so unique because very they've been unique. so isolated. Yeah. And Madagascar is another one, where they've been, the animals have been so isolated for millions of years, so they've really evolved differently. So you have this Tasmanian tiger that has a lot of similar as far as their their legs and claws and teeth and how they run and hunt and stuff like the coyote, mm -hmm. completely different animal, you know, completely different animal. So we call that convergent evolution, even though they're, they're totally two different species and evolving uh, differently. They have similar traits. So they think with vultures and condors that again, convergent evolution, you see the vultures in say Africa, you know, cause a lot of wildlife videos show, you know, a carcass and all the African vultures around condors, very similar. You know, yeah, they might have had a common ancestor a long, long time ago, but their lineages are, are completely, different, completely and they, different. And they evolved very, very similar traits. And again, DNA. You know, so, yeah, it's as far as the bald head, too. They, right, yeah. bald head, yeah. So that's a big thing for these these uh, carnivore birds or mm -hmm. carrion birds. Again, we've done this through DNA and also bone analysis. They do a lot of that with birds. So I get the, the closest two relatives to the California condor is the Andean. Like that said. makes sense. And then also the king vulture. The king vulture is a, a bigger vulture, and it's it's more of a in-between from the smaller vultures and the condors. So what about here in Florida? We see a lot of turkey vultures. Yes. And they're, they're big. And they're distant. Whenever I see them flying, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see an eagle today, yeah. but it's no. a damn turkey vulture. Yeah, and see them on the side of the road eating something. Yeah, those are smaller, much, and they're much smaller too. So mm -hmm. you know, compared to a condor, and their their wingspans what six feet, five feet, yeah. where a condor's twice that. So the condor's huge, like they're big. so huge. Yeah. If you if you listeners haven't, please go uh, just YouTube video a right. condor in flight, right? And, and we'll talk about how they fly okay. here coming up in a second. But they they're amazing. Like birds, yeah, the birds are cool. Yeah, Yay, he cool. said no, it. No, birds are cool. I High five. Chickens may be dumb. Actually, they're smart. They're but smart, Chris. That, you know, I still, I still crack up thinking about you and that rooster chasing you. <laughs> if you haven't heard the best episode so far, Honey Badger, please go listen to Honey Badger. It is hilarious. Yeah, if, if you need to laugh. But the condor's really cool because birds are ancient, you know, and... They're flying dinosaurs. They are. They are. And we know that with, with genetics. Like, that's what they're finding with genetics is that they're actually very related to dinosaurs. And a, an article within the last two years, the oldest known bird they have found, they estimate, lived over 130 million years ago. So that's before T-Rex. Wow. You know, that's during, you know, the Triassic period or somewhere around there where birds actually were birds. You know, bird physiology, they look like a, a modern bird and this thing... And I'll put it, put the picture on the show notes, but here we go. Okay. Uh-oh. Arca Ernithura. How do you even say that? Arca Ernith. Who names this stuff? Um, I'd say dinosaur bird, but it's not. It's Arca Ernithura mimene. Mimene. Anyway. Maybe take a sip of coffee and try that again. <laughs> Screw it. Um, so it's a dinosaur bird, but it looks like a bird. It actually looks it like a bird. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, I'll, I'll definitely put this in the show notes. But the fossil, you know, they, they see the feathers. Mm -hmm. Which is super cool. Right. And I think that's where they started thinking dinosaurs might have had feathers because they start seeing this. Now, to go back to birds and dinosaurs, I remember watching this one. 
a program, especially when, you know, I was getting my PhD in reproductive biology and we were doing all the cloning when I was in Texas and we were cloning some of the very first animals like Dewey the deer is one of the, you know, I got to pet Dewey the deer and mess with Dewey the deer. Yeah. The, the very first deer ever. And other, that reminds me, uh, Keith Campbell's grad student emailed me. I need to email that guy back. (laughs) (laughs) Keep this in there. That's hilarious. That's Keith Campbell. He cloned Dolly the sheep. Yeah, I got to email that guy. Got to email that kid back for sure. All right, sorry. Back to the show. Um, Anyways, when I was doing all the cloning down there and messing with Dewey the deer, uh, so where I was going with that was, you know, they did a a program, and one of my advisors uh, was in the program talking about some of the cloning they did. They were talking about resurrecting dinosaurs and what these scientists were doing. I think it was North Carolina or somewhere. They were going into chicken eggs. And then opening, you know, very carefully opening up the chicken egg, you know, with like a scalpel and painting these proteins cool. on the embryo. And they were growing chickens with, so talk about the chicken that, mm-hmm. that will kill you with, with like large talons and teeth. E. <laughs> no, were, thank like, you. Yeah, no, boy. They were making these chickens with teeth. That's so so cool. they were showing that, you know, we talked about genetics and going back to the frogs. They were activating some of these genes that have been silenced. That's been silenced that were dinosaur genes. That's so, so cool. <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, I will email that student here. One, well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I read somewhere that just in general, currently, as far as lineages go, birds are closest, closely related. The closest living animal they're related to is a crocodile or the alligator. Yeah, I think so. I think if you go Which, back, like the reptilians yeah, and stuff, yeah. So, I mean, they survived the, the, the last mass extinction. Right. And then very few mammals, like the earliest mammals mm-hmm. that were pretty suppressed because you had dinosaurs everywhere. So they weren't able, until we knocked dinosaurs out, mammals weren't able to. Right. They had that bottleneck or whatever. So the earliest ancestor to the condor goes back about 25 million years and you know, they were in North and South America in, Cal- you know, not only in California, Oregon, Florida. Washington, British Columbia. Yeah. They spread all the way in the Southern United States through Texas, the Southeast and down to Florida and then Mexico. So yeah, they were, they were all over. I wish they were still in Florida. I know. Uh, I know. Well, that was the ice age. So, sure. and then once the <laughs> I ice don't want age, that to come back. Yeah. Once the ice age went away, then they, they got kind of decimated. They survived it, mm-hmm. but they then they got pushed back to the west. Out west. Right. And today they they still are, you know, desert regions in California. If you, nobody's ever been there, it's just one big desert, you know, unless you get in the northern part of the state or in the eastern part of the state, you know, you get a little bit more mountainous and pine trees and stuff. But it's mostly a desert, so the condor loves that. They actually lay their eggs. I know when we get to repro, if I talk about that, but they lay their eggs on the dirt mm-hmm. on a cliff or mm-hmm. in the, the yeah, hollow of a tree. Yeah. They don't build a traditional nest. No, they don't nest, but jumping into some of the life cycle of these animals live long lives, 60 years. Yeah. They live up to 60 years, which is crazy. That's a long time for a bird. Very long time. Yeah. And they're flying by six months of age. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, are, are up quickly flying. But again, that generation interval is a little bit longer because they still hang out with mom and dad for about two years. Yeah, they're pretty needy right. uh, from, a, the... from a bird perspective uh, life cycle. They, they, And it's probably because of finding food and how to eat and whatnot that they, they need their, their mom and dad around mm-hmm. to learn To learn these behaviors. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, two years, like, you know, going back to Stoffel and the Honey Badger, but... Yeah, like honey badger stay with their mommy for two years and then, you know, these guys for two years. And then the, what I read as far as the reproductive biology stuff is that the parents just abandon the chick. Like the chick's like, okay. And the parents go off somewhere else to lay another egg somewhere and say, hey, okay, you're done. You're they on finally your kick them out of the house. Like right. my parents when I was 18, basically. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. It's time. So one question, talking about biology, and, and my son asked me the other day, and I thought it was such a great question. So I thought I, I would throw it in here. Is how do birds fly? Chris, right? that... This is why I, I love being a mom for thousands of reasons. But the, some of the questions mm-hmm. that young minds six-year-old, ask. Yeah, six-year-old. Yeah, a little six-year-old. It's like incredible. Yeah. And and how do you how did you answer that? Yeah. So, I, you know, talking about lift and Did you Google it? I hope you had to Google it first. No, I know a little bit about uh, okay. flying. Not a lot. I would but I knew a little bit, you know. But, for, yeah, preparing for this, I looked up some things. The, you know... And you think about the evolution of birds and it's taken millions of years for them to evolve to get to this point where they can just soar. And it's like, you know, we, we kind of wish we could fly. Yeah. That would be my superpower. Right. Flying. 
Totally. But then you think about it, birds look at us and go, man, I wish I could drive a car. Because you know, <laughs> they don't have any thumbs. Or, well, some do, but, you know, uh, or bats have those hooks. And, and they're not birds, those are mammals. But anyways, you know, birds probably look at us and with our limbs and go, man, I wish I could do that. Or run fast because they can hop. Whereas we look at them and go, man, I wish I could fly. Yeah. You know? But they have evolved and they're very I specialized. If they, I dream that I can fly on a wonderful rare occasion. <laughs> if they dream about think, running. <laughs> right. Do you think birds dream that like, oh, I can run? And, I don't know. Or, or, you know, swim, That maybe. chicken probably dreamt about killing you at the zoo. Yeah, he definitely did. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> that keeper, I'm going to get her one day. Um, so, yeah, so they really have specialized biology. So one of the things that... I think I remember from my bird class like ages ago was they actually have higher body temperatures. So their muscles work quicker. So a bird average body temperature is about 40 degrees C or 105 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. So that helps the muscles fire quicker, twitch faster. So really quickly how muscles work is you have a muscle fiber. When it fires, it shortens, which like, pulls on that limb. Mm-hmm. So it either, you know, extends or flexes a limb. Like this, and, Chris, as I'm flexing my muscle. Yeah. yeah. Angie, Angie looks like the rock. Yeah. Thank huge. you. Thank you. A <laughs> yeah. um, hundred pound rock. The, so yeah. So muscles, you know, they shorten, um, they twitch and, and fire, right? So that's what, you know, very quick and dirty. The birds that happens a lot quicker when their body temperatures are higher. So if you think about the one bird that I said, okay, well, you know, the easiest one to think about is a hummingbird. Right. 200 flaps a second. A second. Yeah. If you ever watch slow speed documentary uh, or video of them flying, like it still looks like their, their wings are flapping crazy fast. Yeah. And it's, yeah, 200 flaps a second. That's, That's insane. insane. So their muscles have to fire that fast where ours can't. There's no way. There's no way we can do it. So that is actually their body temperature. So that's one of the things that, that that's evolved with birds that helps them fly, stay aloft. Also, their respiratory system, cardiovascular system, digestive system, highly evolved to provide a lot of oxygen nutrients to the muscles. Because, you know, you and I know a lot about biology, but when, you know, cells consume nutrients and oxygen to live and survive, you know, that blood has to get there to deliver those things. In birds, that gets there quicker, Mm -hmm. right? So It has to. Yeah, it has to. Now, this is where I found about the brain, and that's why I was laughing. I'm like, oh, Angie's going to love this. So their brains are pretty highly developed for... I told you. (laughs) Compared to amphibians and reptiles. How about that? It's really... And I was going to touch on it um, during behavior, but the whole saying bird brain... It's not true. It should be be like snake brain. The next time somebody calls you a bird brain, you say, thank "Thank you. you. Thank you. (laughs) I can do complex stacks. So yeah, so chickens aren't too dumb. And same thing goes to the condor. They're they're pretty smart. So their brains are, are, are up there. So they... And if you think about birds, one of the, the awesome things about birds, and, and, and I do, and I think my favorite bird is like the bar-headed goose. That's that, random. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't see that one Yeah, coming. I know, I know. Bizarre. The bar-headed geese, they're awesome. They fly over the Himalayas. Yeah. Like they fly up to 30,000 feet. Yeah. It's insane. I remember the same time as you had some. I loved just staring at them. I'm like, you guys are awesome. Well, I think it's, yeah. yeah I, uh, I mean, well, when you talk about Guinness World Book of Records mm-hmm. of whatever, I mean, birds do a lot of really amazing, amazing. feats as far as, yeah. like you said, the altitude with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think it's like the swift can travel like 3,000 miles oh, no, without it's like stopping. It's pole to pole. And yeah, it's the Arctic turn. Okay. Goes the, the you, farthest. It goes, it, it hunts in the Arctic and then it gets down in the Southern Hemisphere. So I don't think it goes all the way to Antarctica, but dang near. Yeah. It I mean, flies like 24,000 miles a year. And how does it know to even do that that's and get the there? Yeah, and their yeah. memory, how they navigate. They are very intelligent. They have a lot of superpowers yeah. that we are still learning a lot about. Yeah. So their brains, uh, very important physiology. So they are smart. Than yeah, smarter <laughs> than a toad that okay. pees on you. Uh, the wings, the feathers are very light and hollow. So mm-hmm. you talked about that like... And then again, they're, they're maximized for flight. So when a bird and their muscles are very, their pectoral muscles. So when they flap and I'm sitting here in front of Angie flapping my arms. So when they, and he, so he, he doesn't have, his arm span is pretty like what, yeah. six feet. Yeah, something like that. And I'm just thinking six to myself, five, no offense. I'm looking at you. Like, yeah. If you were a condor, it'd almost yeah. be double that, yeah. which is insane. And it weighs what a, a hundredth of me. Cause I'm 200 pounds. So very, very big pecs. Yeah. I look like the rock. No, I like the rock. And then, you know, that helps them with lift. And then they're very light, right? Mm-hmm. So we said 20 pounds for a condor, and that helps propel them up. So that's some of the things. And then just the physics of it, you have air pressure. 
this goes back to, to airplanes, how airplanes work. Cause it always freaks me out when I'm an airplane. I'm like, how is this thing flying? <laughs> this thing weighs like how many tons and I'm in the middle of the air, but it's because the pressure from underneath pushes up the wing that generates lift. So the birds have specialized their wings are to generate. Now, again, we said the, the condor has this huge wingspan and that means they can go far. Like they just soar and they're a soar. So like, if you think of a hummingbird, that they zip around flying. These birds, they just get up and then just soar on the thermals. Well, and I think, that, as I say, that's why yeah. the videos of them flying mm-hmm. out in California or in Arizona is mm-hmm. just so breathtaking. Right. Because you can, it's like some slow motion. They're not super fast. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, but, the fastest they, I mean, they can't, they say they can't fly as fast as 55 miles per hour, which pretty is good. pretty good, 90 kilometers per hour, but. I don't know what a eagle is. I know that's not the, a pigeon speed. Like that's pretty slow for a bird. Birds can get up to like hundred miles an hour. Well, yeah, and they don't have to them. catch their prey, right? right. They're eating stuff yeah, that's just lame. Yeah. Which means, which is cool about their physiology is their eyesight is incredible. Eagle their binoc- eye, yeah. yeah, their binocular vision is way better than ours. So I always tell my son because he's very good. He has good eyesight, and I always, whenever he finds little things, mm-hmm. I always tell me he has eagle eyes. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should change it to condor, condor eyes. I think. Birds in general. Bird eyes, but yeah, think about it though. I mean, probably condors have better vision. Right. Because they have found that they can fly as high as 15,000 feet. Wow. Or 4,600 4, meters. That's up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're they're up there, you know, not airplane height at 30,000, but still 15,000 feet is huge. Yeah. And huge. they're soaring and then they're just looking for, for that. Yeah. And we'll, yeah, I think we're going to jump into nutrition here in a minute, but they're looking for other birds and stuff that are feeding on carrion and that, that clues them in to where they are. But yeah. And then they just fly in these thermals, which is just warm air rising. And you can imagine in California, like especially off the cliffs and the mountainsides and stuff, that warm air hits the, uh, the cliff and shoots up. And so they just ride and they can, they can go for hundreds of miles. Ah, uh, that's soaring. Visuals yeah. just so, they, yeah. we, need, we need to put a GoPro on one of them. Yeah, I know. I know. It'd be pretty fun. So, yeah, that's kind of some cool behavior. I don't know if there's any other behaviors that you kind of found. Yeah, I mean, once again, being an animal that definitely is intelligent, mm-hmm. uh, they have a lot of social behaviors mm-hmm. uh, for birds. And they're, it's a well-developed social structure in order to determine like competition and then pecking order, which is often decided by a lot of body language, mm-hmm. and which, once again, they learn from their parents. That's why being staying with mom and dad for so long is key. And interestingly enough, we always, I always think of birds and bird songs. Right, right. And that, I'm like, well, that's how they communicate. Yeah. There's this whole research science out there about communications of bird songs yeah, and what it means. And, right? and as bird, birders, I'm, well, I'm a wannabe birder. Bird, yeah. <laughs> My mom used to tell me she was a wannabe hippie. So she was like a yippie because she wasn't cool enough you to be a hippie. You are a herper, though. You did say yeah, that the, say, yeah. the frogs. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, the birders would be like, that girl's not a birder. Like, I'm not cool <laughs> enough to be, like, a hardcore birder, um, like some of my friends. Right. But I'm, like, a wannabe birder. Right. So I'm, like, a nerder. Maybe I'm nerder, a nerder. Yeah, that's a good one for us. We're nerders. <laughs> um, but anyways, their language is, is all, and communication is a whole different podcast, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But condors don't have vocal cords. Hmm. Or it's called a syrinx is right, the vocal right. gland or vocal excuse me vocal organ of birds. That's they don't cool. put, they yeah. don't possess that, but they still do a lot of communication through body language, and then they communicate through like hisses and grunts. And uh, if you bear with me, I can yeah, play or weekly uh, yeah. yeah animal sounds animal sound. We need like a little noise blaster yeah. before to tell everybody what's happening. So condors generally are silent because they don't have these vocal organs. But they can have a variety of hisses and snorts, especially when they're defending nesting sites. Mm-hmm. And so here's uh, some condor vocalizations. It's just, it's, yeah, it sounds like a bull. Like, if I heard that in the bushes, I'd be freaked out. Well, then you see that bald head and you'd be yeah. like, running. <laughs> that ugly, nasty. <laughs> no, I love them. They're, they're so cute. Right. At any rate, well, what they can do is the skin of their the head that shows the bald head right. that's, you know, reddish to orangish to yellow, sometimes even tints of purple in it. Uh, it's ap- actually capable of flushing. And color, mm-hmm. depending on their emotional state. Right, you were saying that, right, right, right. So for adults, it's that subtle communication of, you know, maybe red means I'm really mad, don't come near me. Maybe purple means I'm in love. Right. I don't know if they've actually given the, the state of color 
but I'm sure the bird knows. And these mm-hmm. are things, once again, they need to learn mm-hmm. as they're when they're being social. And in general, the birds to each other, I think, get a bad rap of being like, oh, they're just these carrion eaters and they fight at the, you know, at the feed source. But really, there's not much aggressive aggression towards each other. Mm-hmm. There's definitely dominant birds. And if there's you know, maybe two males that meet up in a territory, they're going to have some standing erect threats. They might inflate their air sacs on yeah, their head or their neck. Yeah. They're going to maybe open their bill, mm-hmm, bill clapping, mm-hmm. and sometimes even lunge. But they're not going to – they're overall a pretty peaceful bird, and they're not going to you know, go – They're not going to fight, yeah. And it's probably because they don't want to fight. They know that that's not, not something that's going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. Talking about the puppets and how researchers and zoo specialists learned that they need to be maybe a little bit more realistic mm-hmm. when they're being a, mo- a mommy or daddy mm-hmm. puppet – that they they learn that adult condors can sometimes restrain youngsters, which hmm. as a parent, taking my <laughs> child <not> <laughs> taking my child to like Disney or something, yeah. I think I'm gonna steal this move. Yeah. But what they do is they can tempor- temporarily restrain um, a nestling or a little fledgling mm. by placing a foot on its neck <laughs> and, clam- <laughs> yeah. and clamping Good it to luck. the floor. <laughs> We've seen you on the five o'clock news tomorrow uh, night. Yeah, <laughs> that ain't gonna fly at Disney, right? Um, but anyways, it's just. There are different animals communicate differently, and so I think you know by watching them in the wild, they learn how to better mimic them in captivity. Mm-hmm. So just kind of a cool fact. And the other thing, especially when we talk about using the the puppet mom and dad in the captive setting, is they do imprint. Okay, so that's a behavior where they basically focus in on the parent and learn a lot of behaviors from that. And you can learn more about the biology of imprinting uh, chris can put something on the show notes but it's really important that they learn how to behave and then also even um, how and where to find food right but it is really important that they watch mom and dad right which bleeds into what we always have a little inside joke on this podcast about about as far as the role of mom and dad in raising the little ones and the Condor dad definitely wins. Yeah, he's not a deadbeat. He is not a deadbeat. He's like me. He's He's like 50-50. Yeah, he's like the modern day, the modern day dad, right? Hey, I actually cook like now seven nights out of the week. So this is my... Absolutely. Yes, you do. As you should. Yeah. um, But yeah, I... I don't think you deserve an award for that. No, I don't. No, I don't. We go back and forth. Um, But no, so yeah, no dad to beat dad. Uh, Both parents play an active role Mm -hmm. and they are uh, monogamous. So they mate for life, uh, which means that they, you know, if a mate does pass away, they'll go find another one. Mm -hmm. But when they do find a mate, they stick stick together. together. And then, and then, yeah, and parental duties are 50-50. So, you know, I think that's really awesome. And going into the reproduction just a little bit is that... A male, a male chick, we'll start with him. He's not going to reach a sexual maturity until he's six years old. Yeah, okay. So that's a, you know, that's a, that's one of the reasons why a lot of the California condor recovery has been slow. Mm-hmm. Is we they have a slow life cycle, and so they become of breeding age when they're uh, reproducing age when they're six, and then once again, there's beautiful. I always love birds because typically in a lot of species of birds, it's the male that mm. has to like yeah. do all the dancing and female. do all the courting, which is how it should be. How how us females have to, why we have to wear makeup <laughs> and all these fancy expensive jewelry and clothes, which I don't wear. Well, it's the birds um, of paradise. Like if you want to see, yeah. you watch those birds of paradise. That is those Or peacocks, guys. right? Yeah, like peacocks, peacocks, Male peacock true. is yeah. the extreme kind of example of this, of, off, of the yeah. male, the male having to be the pretty one. And the condors... The, you know, for them, what the male will do is he'll, you know, he'll do a display, a little dance, which once again, I need my husband to maybe take notes on the <laughs> yeah. dance or whatever. Yeah. But he, and he'll, he'll, he'll um, puff out his neck and his feathers and spread his wings. And I think spreading the wings is to kind of show how, I mean, I would be, I, right. I think that would turn my eye, right? right if right. I was a female, for sure. You know how, I know you, your son is too young. He's mm-hmm. only six. But when they're of whatever age, eight, nine, ten, I'm not sure when 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 the birds and the bees talk happens. Right. right. Okay. So it's gonna be horses and <laughs> just take them out honey the farm. badgers. Yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm just gonna bring them to the farm. Yeah. Like, this is what happens. Cows. Um, uh, we'll go to the zoo. Bonobos. What are those? What are those? Uh, bonobos. Bonobos. <laughs> those things. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll not only show you how to breed, but they'll show you if you want some tips on maybe some other things, other things <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's maybe yeah, rated a little, R. Yeah. Maybe that's for like 
college guys. Okay, like, guys okay. go watch Bonobos, learn yeah. how they, like, you know, okay. uh, what they do. Okay. But anyways, uh, so, no, but Birds and Bees, Chris, huh? is not... Should that doesn't yeah, that's know, that's not a that, good example. I don't even know where that originated from. And the re, yeah, and the reason I say that we'll put is, it in the show notes. We'll find out. I will right. write down. Find out where birds and bees came from. Yeah, and then we'll put it in the show notes so people will have to go there. Because and, some smart, smart, smarty little pants kid is going to say like, "Well, mom, dad, did you know?" And this is a true fact. Did you know that ninety-seven percent of birds don't have penises? Yeah. So that was a really kind of fun fact for me. And that's copulatory organ, external phallus. Yeah, There's many I mean, ways we could say it. I mean, but insects have those. Right. Right. But so, most birds don't. Right. Ducks do. Some waterfowl right. do because they think that um, they don't want the sperm to get lost in the mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. But basically just generic quick one, mm-hmm. two over of bird reproduction biology is birds have a common internal pathway called the cloaca, mm-hmm. which kind of acts as both their urinary and um, fecal depository mm-hmm. and egg tract. Mm-hmm, it's right. just one common tube for the most part. And so female birds, of course, have ovaries and mm-hmm. a uterus and all that. Most bird species actually only have one ovary mm-hmm. because if they ovulated from both ovaries, then they would have double ovulation. Right, a lot of eggs. Too many area. eggs down one hole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some birds do, but um, not all. And then for the males, males have testes internal Mm -hmm. testes Mm -hmm. so you know me i like to talk about testes and there's are actually internal once again Mm -hmm. so that we talk about thermoregulation and how that sperm doesn't get too hot Mm -hmm. and die Mm -hmm. so very cool biology but they have all of that they store their semen at kind of at the edge of the end of the cloaca Mm -hmm. and basically their breeding is just a really quick one two kind of bump into the the other female's yeah. cloaca. They call it a cloaca kiss. Or bumping booties. Bumping booties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cloaca kiss. That would be kind of a hilarious band name for yeah, all of us ornithology dorks <laughs> out there. Someone's going to have it. I guarantee someone's going to have that name. So, yeah, so they just kind of bump their cloacas together, and then the sperm transfers um, from the male cloaca into, mm. into the female. Once that happens, um, then the female will, fertilization occurs, the female will form an egg and... In the condor, she is going to deposit just one egg Mm -hmm. pretty much every other year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so it's long. So it's a long life cycle, and that is one of the reasons, too, why they're having a hard time recovering quickly. A lot of researchers and breeders take advantage of the fact that birds will, or the condor will lay one egg. Mm -hmm. They pull the egg. And then quite often the female will lay another egg. Right. So that's, yeah, the and two that, egg thing. The two egg do, yeah. theory. And that that's what's really helped with um, rebounding Recovery. their captive rates. And, and I think that's important too because people are like, why are they raising it with puppets? Why don't they just let mommy and daddy do it? Well, the one that's being raised by puppets is probably the first egg they pull. Correct. So that they that the parents could lay a second egg and raise. So that way you're getting two for one. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So science, it's awesome. Right. But then once, so an egg incubates for about mm, 54 to 60 days. Once the, the chick is born, they are going to depend on their parents for, like we said, you know. Almost two years. Yeah. Almost two years, yeah. you know, and they don't reach, once again, their sexual maturity is until six to eight years, right. in both male time. and female. Yeah. So that's and that's a long turnover time, and that's not something we see a lot in the bird kingdom or whatever. Right. And it's probably one of the reasons that has that probably was part of the reason for their extinction too. Their low turnover, right? Rate. Yeah, and just all those pressures. As we kind of talked about nutrition, you know, and these are carrion birds, and right, it's, it's hard to get excited about eating dead, dead old, bloating carcasses. Mm-hmm. But they're nature's cleanup crew because if. It, if it wasn't for them, those things just sit out there, spread disease, flies, Absolutely. Insects. I mean, everything has a purpose on mm-hmm. Earth, right? Every, everything does their job. Right. And the condor evolved to be able to eat the stuff right. that nobody wants to eat besides maybe some yeah. you know, insects or whatnot. Right. And it was like they said, like in the Ice Age, like as far as mammoths and stuff, these guys were, there were probably thousands of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have a dead mammoth and they would pick it clean in a few days. They, mm-hmm. You know, they don't know, but that's what some of the estimates would be. So they definitely prefer larger mammals, deer, goat, sheep that, that have died, but they, they will eat smaller mammals that are dead, like rabbits and things like that. But again, generally the bigger ones. And they're opportunistic, like the ones right. in Central California have been going after marine carcasses. Right, yeah, on the beach, you know, or whale washes up or something like that, or seals mm-hmm. that, that wash up for sure. They have they have to do that. So they can't smell. So, the, you know, again, that eyesight is so critical for them to... Condor eyes. Yeah, and if they're up 15,000 feet 
are high up there, 4,000 meters up in the air. So they look for smaller predators or the vultures, and then that clues them in, okay, there's something there for dinner or lunch or breakfast or whatever. And then they swoop in and say, hey, I'm the big boy. Definitely bigger. And smack them around and get some food. <laughs> And they only eat sporad- sporadically, so only a few every few days. Yeah, they don't, they don't and they can to go to weeks often. without yeah. eating. So really, but when they do eat, they they can eat almost twenty percent of their body weight. Wow! So two to three pounds. I'm glad or, I don't do that. Yeah, one and a half kilograms. I do sometimes. Maybe no. on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, next week <laughs> oh. coming up. Coming up. It's coming up. The holidays. So what we promised. How do they survive eating? These nasty, rotten carcasses that are festering with bacteria. Like, if we ate it, we would die. For sure. You know, and like, especially with these carrion birds, you read about how they eat. And for anybody that's ever watched TV, they, they start with the, the anus and then they pull out the guts because they love the guts. Extra and yummy. That, yeah. And that's full of bacteria. Lots of bacteria. Lots of nasty Feces. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they love it and they survive fine. So, what's really crazy is they, they find that they have really high acids in their stomachs mm-hmm. that destroy the bacteria. So listeria, anthrax, cholera, botulism, wow. all are destroyed in that. And then they have all this bacteria on their head. and, and On the face. bald head? Yes, on this nasty bald So don't ever touch them on the head because it's just full of bacteria that helps protect them wow. from some of this other stuff. So they actually have tons of colonies of bacteria on their head and in their gut that protect them against all this nasty stuff that so would like kill us. A real symbiotic relationship with their, I mean, mm-hmm. with their mi- microbes, which we have mm-hmm. our own, but our microbes aren't that tough. Right. So that is, that is bizarre. Like that's bizarre biology. I've ne- I did not know that. that well, was and like, I, wow. Yeah, I definitely, there's researchers are, are tur- turning a keen eye, uh, eye to their gut microbiome to try to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Because once again, there's probably a lot of secrets hidden mm-hmm. In these physiological adaptions right. that we could maybe learn from, right, or right. steal ideas from, right. Like n- nature invented a lot of really cool things. That's we just haven't, to... right. We just haven't figured out how to use them for our benefit, right? Totally, right. yeah. Our, your humanity or other animals, and it, you know, to think that they can eat all this nasty stuff and thrive right. and be fine. And so, if you go back to the circle of life, like they play that that important niche, a that niche, that is their part. job, right? Mm-hmm. They. These carrion birds are so critically important to maintaining a healthy, stable environment and help reduce spread of disease. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure these carcasses are, are cleaned up and not just left to rot where, you know, certain things can can proliferate. So very, very important uh, part of that. So they're doing great. I mean, they're doing, doing well from compared to the 20, 22 animals that were brought into captivity. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And definitely a good success story. Not out of the woods yet. Mm-hmm. The are, they are still critically endangered by the IUCN, mm-hmm. obviously. So with only the 450 total population, but is a good story. And I listened to a really cool podcast that I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. It's called Zoological Radio from Santa Barbara Zoo. Mm-hmm. And they... They their their theme is they like to tell interesting animal stories by interesting people. Right. And they had on there one of the head biologists, Jan, who was involved with catching up the last condor mm-hmm. in the wild in nineteen eighty seven. His name was A C for adult condor, A C nine. And it was kind of hard to catch him up because he was the last guy in the wild that they had been tracking for, you know, years. But they you know, they went ahead and did it, and then he he lived, I believe, in L.A. or San Diego mm-hmm. Zoo, and his genetics were spread wonderfully right. through the population. His chicks were released in the wild, and oh no, I have goosebumps as I'm telling the story. <laughs> so then, in 2005, I believe was the year, his genetics had been well represented in the mm-hmm. captive population, and they took him to the release site where he had been caught up. And they opened up the crate, and mm-hmm. off he flew. Yeah. Of course, he had on. Oh, I have goosebumps! I was Trackers. actually crying. I'm yeah. such. A, I'm such an easy cry. When I heard, <laughs> when I listened to this podcast at the very end, I was like, you know, all teared up. Yeah. But it was a beautiful story of you know they and they were they were a little worried about him. So of course he was like radio tagged or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, would he you know would he do what he had done? Mm-hmm. And he had been studied for years before they caught mm-hmm. him up. And sure enough. You know, he's not or being a bird brain is a compliment because he picked up right where he left off, going to the same feeding sites. Mm-hmm. They'll travel about 150 miles mm-hmm. a day in search of food. Mm-hmm. He was going to old ones he had been going to in yeah. the 80s. He had more hatchlings in the wild right. once he was re released. And so I just think that it, this is a story of success, right. but they're not out of the woods yet, especially due to lead poisoning. So, take home message of the day is yeah. to encourage 
hunter friends and people to use. You can use copper. There's right. other ammunition you can use right. out there. I think that would really help the ones that are out in the wild right. out. So people that are interested in supporting con- conservation, there is a really cool organization out there. My organization of the week is called the Peregrine Fund. And that you can find that at uh, P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-E fund.org. And again, we'll put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they conserve birds of prey mm-hmm. worldwide. And they ha- are a big player in the Condor, California Condor Restoration Project. And they're actually actively on the ground working with hunters in Arizona and Utah in area to try to get them to voluntarily uh, you know, understand the benefits of of not using lead ammunition and how you know how lead can basically trickle up the ladder and hurt these right. these endangered right. birds. And then the other really great one. This is a push for uh, for you, Chris, being from mm. California. Yeah, you could always just always go support um, the San Diego Zoo right. and their. Uh, research and or conservation efforts. Yeah, and they, they were a big player in this. Yeah. I mean, oh. you said LA Zoo too. LA Zoo oh, yeah. did too. And but... now, and Zoo Oregon now right. is a huge one. So any of those you could definitely reach out to. But I know Zoo San Diego is still as, they one, work yeah. on recovery ecology, mm-hmm. the whole new science about protecting the lands where they're from. They also do the reproductive sciences. Mm-hmm. And they are huge, uh, the four founders of the genetic reserves of the different gametes. Right for these uh, condors. condors right. mm-hmm. And I would say my conservation tip of the week in trying to think about this is, you know, buy less plastic. I know you and I were talking about that. Like when we go to the store and we just try to buy less plastic. So I think there's a, there's a, ch- a shift in us voting with our dollars and a shift in culture that maybe plastic isn't so great for the environment and us. So if you can, you know, instead of buying plastic bottles, buy, buy wooden box bottles or even the wax ones I think are better. Mm-hmm. One thing I was thinking about too was like the six pack rings, you know, like I always cut those up because I remember hearing stories about when you, during an impressionable age, when you were right, young. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like they were floating in the ocean and turtles or birds catching well, them around their necks. Recently there was a, f- a fish, I forget the species mm-hmm. or where, um, but it was pulled up and it had grown, its body had grown around. I think I saw that picture. The, yeah. the center it's plastic like a sturgeon ring. or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always cut up my six pack rings or just like, don't buy six. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, we buy, yeah. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's hard. It's hard, but if you can avoid them, but what I do, but I did, you know, I didn't know this. It was very cool by law. And at least in the United States, they actually made them to where they're, they actually had to degrade. So they do degrade over a few weeks, Good, which okay. is good. So yeah, the laws better than have most changed. Plastic. Right. But you can still go out there. If you go to any garbage site, there's birds everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, especially where it depends on where you well, live. Well, these but, condors, a couple of them yeah. that have, you know, they're heavily managed in the wild. Mm-hmm. And so they'll bring them in if they have some signs of lead poisoning mm-hmm. and do chelation with them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes upon x-rays, they'll find that they have like garbage inside right, them. Right. So like if, so pick up your garbage, that's yeah. just, if you're, if you're outdoors or even just, just the, leave no, leave no trace. Like just, yeah. just pick up your garbage. Well, I'm in the habit of cutting those up. So um, do that. Now, for us, if you can sign up to our email list, you can go to our website, allcreaturespod.com, sign up to our email list. Angie and I are going to send you tips on conservation and tips that you can teach your children so your children can develop healthy habits for the environment. I think that's all it is. It's it's habit. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when I cut up that six ring, I just do it by instinct. I pull out my scissors, I go chop, 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 and I throw it in the trash. We make it really fun at our house because my boys are so young. And so with my four-year-old, when he was two and just learning colors, we would always have fun saying, so this is plastic. And he would mm-hmm. help identify that it was plastic at the age two or three. Mm-hmm. And then so the game was, does that go in the orange recycle right. bin or the blue recycle mm-hmm. bin? Mm-hmm. So there's different things you can do to incorporate right learning and just make it more fun and that's their normal i think this younger generation has to have a new normal right they do yeah it has to just just develop healthy habits for the environment Mm -hmm. is really i think that's what we'll call it uh when you sign up to the email we're going to be sending out announcements you know whenever there's an episode release which we'll be doing every week anything else we have specially planned We'll make sure we're sending the email. Yeah, there's going to be like some that. fun interviews coming down mm-hmm. the pipes, and definitely Just anything else news that we can we can we can send out there. So if you can sign up for that, that'd be great. But 
Other than that, thank you so much for listening. I hope you had fun. And if you weren't um, a bird nerd or want to be bird nerd like me, perhaps <laughs> after this sh- <laughs> perhaps after this show, you'll be a little bit more of a bird nerd and mm-hmm. just appreciate. Besides this beautiful California condor, just look up at the skies and I know we never appreciate them. Just take notice, of even you know, even that damn pigeon. I know. Well, they're yeah, they're super cool. Yeah, they poop on your car, t- but it's okay, and they're tough too. So <laughs> it's okay, poop but on our cars. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.